Welcome to Transform Now, the podcast brought to you by robotic process automation pioneer, SSNC Blue Prism. Digital transformation has the potential to reshape the way companies service their customers, engage their employees, and manage their operations. Whether you're looking to develop strategies, tactics, or best practices to positively impact the future of work, or you're curious to see how other companies have successfully navigated their digital transformation programs, then this podcast is for you. We're here to help you transform now. Hello, everyone. I'm Michael Marchuk. Welcome to the Transform Now podcast. In this episode, I'll be chatting with Greg Martin. Greg is an investment banker, an angel investor, an entrepreneur, and hosts his own podcast, the Lifetime at Work podcast. We'll be talking with Greg about the changing roles that we're seeing as digital labor and human labor are merged into a hybrid workforce. Welcome, Greg. Thanks for having me, Michael. So you're an investment banker. What led you to start a podcast on work-life balance? Yeah, so I haven't always been an investment banker. I went through what I call a, a mid-life or mid-work crisis where I had gone investment banking think I, thinking I would do it for two, three years. And I hit the 10 year mark. And I said, what am I doing here with my life? Is it that, is this what I'm doing for the rest of my career? And I was having mid thirties, early thirties, having that conversation with a lot of friends and colleagues and just people. And I thought, Hey, why don't I record this and help the, the world, my community, et cetera, think through this. And so I keep going. And really it's just, I, I think our minds. And even as you integrate AI and robots and various things into the conversation, it's like, it comes back to, okay, what am I trying to achieve with my job and work? And what am I going to get out of it as a person? And I think that's really like the essence of the podcast is talking to people about, you know, their jobs, why they do them and what they get out of it. So that, that was that, kind of why I started. That makes a lot of sense. But it's interesting to see the kind of duality between invest. I don't, when I think of an investment baker, I don't think of a podcast host per se. So it's a very good combination. It, it, call it a side <laughs> hobby. That it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't really relate necessarily to it directly. It's more of just, like, hey, we're all people out there trying yeah. to understand live in the world and enjoy it and find careers and passions and all that. So that's that, probably that more makes, what it's about. That makes a lot of sense to me. You mentioned the whole AI and robots thing. Is this was organizations are developing and executing their digital transformation programs. We're seeing an impact on the roles that human workers hold within those organizations. You know, digital workers, AI and software robots, they're transitioning work that humans typically do. And we've been there before, haven't we? Yeah, I, th I, I think of newspapers for some reason and the internet and what that, that sort of did. I have my mother-in-law who still gets the newspaper and I don't really know many other people who do, but the internet transformed it where all of a sudden it could be better. And that hasn't really stopped. If anything, that's probably just accelerated, right? With technology, as a new technology comes, it displaces another one. And it's pretty fascinating to try to think about, I think movies do this all the time. They're trying to think, well, what does this mean? And where is it going to take us? And yeah, it does really feel like we've been here before and are destined to always be here. And it, it now as we're thinking about it, where, what's my place, right? Everyone is thinking about, okay, where do I fit into it? A lot of people probably don't quite understand like, what it means for them and their role in the workplace for their company. How is AI going to transform? And not just AI, but just like the future of technology going to transform them and their job. But at the same time, I don't think it has to be necessarily scary. If you are a tried and true journalist who said, I'm only going to do it this one way and nothing else, then fine. Maybe you probably might be out of a job right now, or maybe you're one of the few that held on, but chances are that's morphed. You use those skills as a journalist for something else. You, your publication has transformed and you're not delivering newspapers the same way, but it's online in a different format. There's good and bad, I suppose that can come from it. 
So you take that same industry kind of viewpoints as you reduce the number of subscribers to a newspaper and we see them consolidate and whatnot. The reporters and the reporting angle maybe transforms in one way, but the printers and the people who deliver those newspapers, they have a different kind of outlook in terms of how things are changing because it it does, in this case, displace them. If people are getting their news off of their internet feed, no one needs to have a newspaper delivered at four in the morning to their doorstep. So it does displace some workers, but maybe not others within a specific area. So as we see that kind of, I want to say that change, how do you think that people are adapting or how should they be adapting to those kinds of technology, technological changes? It really depends on the organization and what you're doing. The way I think about it is there's two extremes here. There's one organization type of company, whatever, company, person, it could be any, but let's call it an organization that is you know, fully embracing. They are, hey, we want to be cutting edge. Let's just figure out what the latest technology is and always do it. And there's the other on the other side just says, I'm just going to resist everything. I'm going to hold on to what I've got for as long as I possibly can, because this is great and I'm old school. <laughs> I don't know how to do it another way or whatever the reason could be. And I feel like a lot of us end up in this gray area in between where maybe we're not always going to be cutting edge with absolutely everything, but maybe that's fine. Maybe we don't need to be. We can make other people make those mistakes and fine, they might hit home runs here and there, but they might not also. And that we, and as we think about it, um, call it as a company or even as a, as a worker out there, you know, you're providing either a product or a service to other people and other organizations. And what you're trying to do is figure out, well, how can I create Mali, right? So if you think of you as a printer that is now doing other, other things that I can print. Yes, the internet was pretty damn hard. You're going to run out of things to print, but you could probably shift from newspapers to one of those flyers that end up in your mailbox or something. You can shift. There are capabilities and you have to make that determination of, hey, when do I shift and how much of a new investment is it worth making into this sort of new field? I do think that doors are opening and doors are closing. And I do think, though, that the biggest thing and the biggest thing you'd help is just the awareness of it. I think if you try to live in a vacuum where it's only you and you just you have these skills or you have these capabilities, then, yes, you are you, you probably have a risk of falling behind. But if you're looking at the rest of the world, you're reading the news, even tangentially, you're trying to figure out what others are doing and how they are adapting to it. I think you can start to get slowly smarter on these things and figure out, hey, do I need to adapt or not? And then how? That makes sense. You can look back into the turn of the century when there's horse-drawn buggies and uh, the automobiles started coming up. And obviously, there are probably a whole lot of stable hands and, and whatnot who are tending horses and, and that sort of thing. But as that transitioned, it opened up a whole new set of roles that didn't even exist prior to that. Simply, we've seen that before with the internet as it, it's grown up. There's digital marketing which never existed before. We had an internet, right? It just didn't, wasn't a thing. So there's a lot of new opportunities that are that are coming about because of that change. So talking about that, recently we've seen the impact of physical robots in, say, long-standing human roles in fast food restaurants. I'm talking about these robots like Flippy and some of the other ones who are flipping burgers in the back of a, a hamburger restaurant. You start looking at that, there's business drivers that are compelling these these businesses to look at this type of option. What kind of drivers do you see when you're looking at both a physical robot in this kind of case, but also in AI and digital robots as we look at um, maybe a broader use case? Yeah, so I've got a, a bit of a food background. I operated a, a restaurant and catering business for a, a couple of years. And what really happens in the food business and what needs to happen, it's, it, it, it's really important to be able to call it rinse and repeat. You, you need to be come up with very 
tight systems, unless you're a, a high-end restaurant and you're paying for the art, you're paying for a person to do something that's beautiful and, and unique and artistic. But for most cases, say we're going to McDonald's, you want, you're just looking for a very consistent product. And what's happened and what everyone in the food world has had, has had to do over time is to make sure that as they created, call it the labor, the ability to do those things and, and, and make food on scale, the scale that you need to do to, to feed this, whatever, seven, eight billion people in the world, you really, it has to be incredibly repeatable. Like there's just, there's no, there's no margin for error here. The machine breaks down, things don't work. It just needs to be repeatable. And that happens in any restaurant in, as you get to scale, when you have one McDonald's that you then want to replicate all across the country and all across the world, it has to be damn repeatable. Like it just, it need, and so those are actually though, at the same time, a very good place for robots to, to come in and, and help. And so over time, what's happening here is that McDonald's and all the people in fast food, for instance, to use an example, have been working on trying to create and make sure that job, the, the burger making, the flipping, the assembling is as repeatable as possible so that some dumb 15 year old can do it. Like just anyone, no matter who they are, can do it. And that also though, gives rise to a computer being able to actually do it or a robot being able to do it very easily. And what's also happened though, and what's happening here is that people don't want to do those jobs, right? I was talking to a couple of weeks ago, a operator of a bunch of Tim Hortons franchises here in Canada. And he was telling me it is incredibly hard to find labor. The turnover is unbelievable. It's never been like this and just unbelievable. And yeah, I can see why robots would be the next logical thing because people don't really want to do some of these roles. They've been made so rigid and so repeatable. They've taken, there's no joy or there's limited joy. You can create it, but it's very challenging. And anyone who has another option who can use that experience at a, at a Tim Hortons or at a, and any other fast food to then get another job, they are because they all, people just want a little bit more. They want to flex that muscle a little bit. They want to think a little bit. Otherwise that monotony can, can be done by something else. And so taking that and looking at perhaps at insurance agents or insurance organization where they're processing claims constantly, they're going to want to do that the same way all the time. They're going to want some consistency with that. They're also going to want to find a way to reduce that monotony because people generally speaking, don't like monotonous things. We don't do well with um, doing the same thing over and over again. Some people may thrive in that, but I would say the majority probably do not find mental stimulation in doing the same thing over and over again. So when we start looking at doing the paperwork for some of these large the transactional paperwork for insurance or banking or whatnot, maybe AI and automation is a better choice, not only for the consistency standpoint, but also for labor preservation. If you want to keep your labor force who do generally have experience with an industry, if they've been there for a while, they understand the, the mechanics behind it. They understand um, why you're doing it. And they also understand the, the sort of the mindset of the customer uh, from a customer experience perspective. Maybe that's a better choice, but it also changes the roles of the people who are seeing that. Hey, we're bringing in automation. This may affect me directly because that's what I do, but I, boy, I hate doing that. So maybe it's something that I don't mind giving up because it's not something that really adds value to both me personally and as an organization. It's a transaction that has to occur, but it also is a very small part of the broader value chain. So maybe that's something that as you look at this, maybe that's a good thing from an automation standpoint rather than displacement job. It's actually displacing the work that people don't want to do anyway. I do think that's the positive. And the other though interesting nuance I feel like that we're grappling with as people right now is you've got this benefit now right here. All of a sudden I can do something cheaper. 
to whose benefit is that, right? And you think about maybe the writers and the Hollywood writers and actors are a good example for that. It, they're going through recently, I think they've settled on having these union negotiations. And the challenge is, unfortunately, <laughs> for these writers, AI is going to be able to do it, frankly, if it can't already, a pretty good job of writing stuff and helping and benefiting that. And so you then ask the question, okay, is that going to come to the benefit of a person, a writer, who subscribes to writer.ai and they take their ideas and put them in there. And now instead of a script a week, they can do 10 scripts a week. Is that, are they then going to pay that writer the same amount? Or is it going to be the studios and the producers and the movie makers who are going to say, oh, no, I, I know now that you can do that much more because you have AI. You're not going to, or Knox is not going to be able to pay you as much. And we're going to take that benefit. And that is the two parts that are going to try to, you know, over time kind of wrestle with it. And you can see that the group that really digs in and says, no, like this is the way, like it's all this benefit is to me is going to just, it's going to be challenging. There's going to be a reach a point where you have to give or you're going to lose your job or you're going to lose your competitive advantage because of it. At the same time, I think you can work with that. You can say, hey, you know what? Like I'm adapting. Me, I'm a writer. And yes, I'm getting better and I'm being able to do these things. I can do that much more. We can do that much more content. And yeah, there will be winners. There will be losers in it. But it's that kind of adapting that I think will be the people that you trust and want to take the reins to to shepherd you into the next thing. And, but the benefit, like who's the economic benefit is actually a really interesting part that like doesn't, I don't think it's rhetorical, it doesn't have an answer. <laughs> yeah. To that point, actually, it could though. It, it, if you look at from a, an automation or an AI perspective, it's just a tool. And so yeah. this tool that's being leveraged by someone who's directing it to A, create a script for whatever it is, or do something specifically with our claims and or, or validate policy information, all that stuff, there's value in what the tool is doing if you know how to use the tool well. So that transition could be that it's very valuable now for someone who understands how to use the tools, even though the work itself may be less valuable because of these new tools that have existed. For example, if I if you gave me a shovel, which is an inexpensive tool, and asked me to dig a ditch, it may take me a long time. And if I expect you know, a lot of money to be paid to me to be able to feed my family for digging that ditch. It would be, it would be very costly from that perspective, but it also take a very long line of time, an opportunity cost that's missed there. However, if I get a backhoe, I could go and do that, that one trench in a very short period of time, even though it may be a larger investment, but now that's a skill I have to direct that tool now to be able to create longer trenches, a lot more trenches, and have that, that be a big, bigger value to the construction business for which I work. That's how I look at this is, is a, it, it isn't a transition, but it could be a really beneficial transition for both the business who's getting now the economic benefit of being able to do more with less type of thing, but also for the folks, as you mentioned, who are making these pivots, these transitions from doing one thing and writing one script a week or whatever the issues are to writing 10 scripts a week using a tool. These tools now are really giving them a lot more value because now they can create more content or create different kinds of content that perhaps they were doing before because now they have these tools to be able to do that. 100%. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, the, like tools will hopefully, they should always make better, make us better. Otherwise, we're not going to use them. We're going to find something else. <laughs> so, that uh, makes, totally sense. makes sense. So we see that this transition with AI automation that is giving sort of the run for the money for the mm -hmm. folks who are embracing it what kind of advice would you give to the rising stars and in, in who are in business roles who see the impact of this technology on the future of work? Yeah, I, I think one of the interesting things that I, I think is, and, and one of the unique things that we have 
is our ability to be human and the need and, and that there, right? On this podcast, you, you asked me to be on this. I'm not that smart. You could have asked, you could have Googled it. You could have done this chat GPT and asked all these questions to it. And it has the repository, um, I don't know, millions of people and tens of thousands of articles and, and all. <laughs> you could put the voice as British and make it a little bit more exciting. There's lots of things that you could have done. And why are people going to listen when you have a person on? It's that they want some of the things that a person has. They are things like emotion and creativity and being able to, I think, communicate complex thoughts. And not to say that AI can't do these things or that advanced technology can't, but there's just a, a connection that I think that we will always need and have with each other that you as a business professional, as someone in the working world can provide. And so I think it's key that you do that, that you figure out the relationships that you need and focus on those, that you do the human things out there that you need to progress yourself in your career, because those are going to be what's valued and what's really, again, unique that you can't replicate. And the big benefit to all of us here is that by having computers do stuff that we don't want to do, it, it should, in theory, improve our lives. It should make give you the ability to spend time on something else that you want to. Now, over time, in theory, we have just been getting more and more efficient with things. And we have to then make these dilemmas of, am I spending more time with my family, on my hobbies? Am I just working more? But in reality, like all these things, they shouldn't give you more time to be able to make those decisions and allow you the flexibility to think more, to do higher level stuff that, not even higher level stuff, but just the conundrums, the rhetorical questions, the things that maybe we just are reluctant to allow or want a chat GPT to figure out on our behalf. So I think that's where the opportunity is to be human. Yeah. And actually you bring up a good point too. And that is the, the challenges we have when we're busy doing is that our heads are down and we are working and we're, we're, we're scurrying about doing what needs to be done um, without looking at maybe the bigger picture, being able to step back and take a look at that. So while transactions may be happening at, at our hands because we're able to make them all happen quickly. The reality is that um, all we're doing is transactions. We're not actually stepping back to look at the business. But when we have these kind of tools, it does open up our experience now to be able to do something more, which is maybe look at the business itself. Why, or why should we do this this way? Is there a better way to be doing this? How can we change the way our business is based on other macro events and leverage that because now I'm putting two to two together in a more creative way to say, if we did this, perhaps we could leverage the tool or the, the products that we're offering in a different way to a different audience um, because now I've had time to think about it rather than simply produce. That, totally. And, and I think, yeah, like it's repeatable tasks are easy. Strategic thinking and making hard decisions and strategy, that is hard. And so... We, in theory, are going to have more time to do it, but to a certain extent in our lives, we oftentimes try to find repeat, like cutting the grass is one. Like I cut my own grass. Very repeatable. Someone else could do it. I, there's robots that do that sort of thing, but I like it. And so I know how to do it. It's not very complicated. I usually put on a podcast while I'm doing it, but it's, there's some things that we just like doing. We feel accomplished. We like doing it. Exercise. There's lots of, but at a certain time, we also do need to be, like I was saying, we need to be human. We need to flex some of those muscles. We need to make tough decisions. And yeah, in theory, we should have more time to do it when we can get more of those mundane tasks done by something else. Yeah. So as we, have we seen the, the, the transition to more remote or hybrid work where folks are away from others where there's that human interaction 
is now on a screen, it may be better or worse. What are your thoughts in terms of that human connection piece at work when it comes to the transition from away from maybe more office work to more remote work? Yeah, you hit me with the question that I'm grappling with and have been grappling with for a while. I, I think what was happening with us and a lot of our, call it North American, white collar sort of attitude and, and experience and professionalism and all that is that we were just increasingly, our culture was becoming work. We were just, we're working more. We were, we got to the point where we were finding friendship and success and comfort and emotion. All those things were in work. And, and the people who we went to work with, we were seeing them five times a week, at least we were on, we were just so connected to them. Then all of a sudden you have this pandemic and everyone has this opportunity and depending on where you were, it was longer or shorter to go home. And you then were, culture was different, right? You didn't work getting it on the screen anymore. You weren't, right? Like you were now on a screen, you were trying to connect with people. You're like, this sucks. I, I'm just going to do my work and get out of here. It completely changed everything. And now we're headed back where maybe you are back five times, five days a week. Maybe it's one, maybe it's five, I don't know, maybe it's three. And we're, though, have these questions we're trying to ask ourselves now, like, what is our culture? Because now I, I got used to seeing my family a little bit more and I like it, or I know my neighbors a lot better now. And I'm identifying with them more. Do I need, and how much should I be getting from culture and people and those human interactions from work? And I think that's the, again, rhetorical, there's not necessarily an answer that, that is the same for everyone, it's really different. And I think that depending on who you are, you're asking and you're coming at that question a different way. And what I think the, the really hard part right now is with, with organizations and companies that's happening is that the senior team of a lot of big organizations, even big or small, are saying, no, no, you've got to come back to work. We want the culture. And the young people or the, the newer people in the organization, like, I, I, you finally gave me this time where I felt like I had the ability to to have, you know, control my own schedule and have hobbies and connect with people at home and all that. I, I don't want to give that up. And so you're having this head on. And the problem is, I actually think what's happening is the people in the senior management positions at a lot of companies are the types of people who really embraced, did well, enjoyed corporate culture. They liked going to work every day. They liked all the people they were working with all the time. They just, that was the thing, right? They were, and that's why they moved up because they got along with it really well. And the challenge is that a lot of people don't, right? A lot of people don't want that. They don't necessarily need, they don't necessarily buy into it. They find it fake. They don't feel like they belong enough. They're just there to do the job. And so they're just, I think, really conflicting and really butting heads with kind of senior management of organizations and, and finding, hey, we're just not agreeing here on how often we should be back in the office. And so I think it's creating a lot of tension in companies. I think it's creating a lot of different decisions. I think people are thinking or considering moving companies if they're not aligning here. And I do think that over time, we will create this sort of situation where more organizations would just have to decide that more, more holistically, like in this organization, do we value, is culture important? Are we going to be hiring and are people, is company culture in the office going to be something that we like really value and hold on to and is part of what we do? Or is it going to be the opposite where we don't? And you can see that when tech companies in some of the more traditional company, manufacturing companies, whatever, that you have to take aside pretty quickly and, and they have, and there's a lot of groups stuck in the middle here trying to figure it out. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm not sure there's a, anything that's, that's right or wrong in that area either, because even before the pandemic, there were plenty of companies that were remote only many more now that they found the options and they found that their productivity didn't really, wasn't really affected um, by the fact that they did go remote. But uh, there's also this, let's say this, 
you talk about culture, this generational culture that brings in, you mentioned many of the senior leaders in these organizations, they're likely going to be boomers or Gen Xers, potential millennial, but more likely a boomer or Gen Xer is going to be in those senior roles of some of the larger organizations. And their view of work and technology and whatnot, as you say, is, has already been shaped. And now you have this different generation coming through, this the Gen Zs, the, the uh, millennials who are taking positions in, of authority now in organizations. And they're also seeing that through the pandemic and through these other things that they're starting to value what they saw a little bit more than simply the culture they were having within work. So when you take those two things, they may be at odds, but they also may be a strength that an organization could leverage to get to a different kind of customer base or a different kind of uh, customer experience. How do you see organizations taking that approach, doing that, or, or do they do it well at all? Yeah. A lot of groups are just trying to, just trying to figure it out now, right? Now, I would agree with you. I think more traditionally and in, in call it a, a software role and a high tech role, they have moved. It's been really bad for downtown San Francisco, for instance, and just Silicon Valley in general, because people are now all, all over the place. They're working remotely. As you think about how do you flip that into being an advantage around your organization? I think that having a commonality amongst people and a kind of a teamwork, a team culture. I think that's really positive. I think that creates great things. I think that a team certainly, yes, they can really hate each other, but the goal is to really embrace each other and work together and create more together. And so the more that you're on the same page, I think the more that you can do. And likely if you are all a bunch of people who are remote because you really value family, chances are you may then put this, your branding and your marketing, you know, that may relate to family as well. And you may then go and find customers that are also really valuing that. And you can live in this ecosystem and you don't have to live in the same place or whatever. You can just be anywhere and believe in that. And I do think that it will over time start to transcend that, right? It will start to just make it that many situations you do have to have that through and through that, that ethos around, yes, we value these things, whatever those might be. And we together hire people like that. And our customers are like that. I do think, I mean, it was interesting when Elon and took over Twitter and X, and basically came up with this, you have to be in. If you're not in, you're basically gone and I hate you. And it was a very bold thing, but he wanted to get rid of a lot of people anyways, right? He was trying to, and he said, I want to do this really quick. I'll just say, if you don't want to work in the office, then you should probably leave. I'm going to make it really challenging for you. And that was just like this clear house really quick. We were changing the whole culture and everything. You could do that. I don't recommend necessarily that, but it's a strategy. But it is a way to, to marry that up where now he's, he's likely left with a lot of people who just believe in that, where they, that culture is at work, where that connection, where we, yeah, we go into the office. That's what we do. We're now X. So as part of that, I suppose in that specific case, there's also a whole bunch of folks that took their talent elsewhere. So that could be a, a way to remove talent in an inadvertent way by having those kind of demands. But on the converse of that, opening up remote work may give you access now to talent that you wouldn't have had before, because now you can hire from anywhere. Yeah, people have been saying that. I've been hearing that a lot more where if you, just, I don't know, it's an ultimatum, but I've been hearing people say, if you're going to work from home all the time, you are now not only competing against people in your city, you're competing against people around the world, because in theory, your company could hire any of them. And yes. But there's more to it than that. There's culture, there's 
there's time zones, there's language, there's a lot there that I don't think is, is as simple as that. But yes, I think you do open it up to, to, to more and just a broader set. It, I don't know, that could be good or bad, right? Now you as a worker, as someone with skills, you can now, just because you have family ties in one location doesn't mean that you have to only work for a company based in your city or in your state or town or whatever. You can go broad. So I, I don't know. I don't know if it's good or bad. I, I think that there's, it depends on our ass and who we are in the situation. So to kind of sum up our, our discussion here, we've got a lot of changes going on with people's roles, whether that's because AI or automation is impacting some of the transactional work they're doing, opening up new and maybe more valuable types of skills that they could be honing for adding value to their organization. And now, to mention the location perspective, there's maybe hybrid or remote work, which again, opens up your thing, but the, it all boils down to that. Am I adding value to the organization enough that they want to keep me on or, or value that particular aspect? And do I feel value coming back from the organization, allowing me to express my skills and talents in a way that I find valuable? So it is a win on both sides. Hopefully. Yeah, no, I agree. And again, we're, we're trying to, we're all just trying to improve, right? We're all just yeah. trying to get more done. We're trying to progress. We need to do that, right? We're, we, if we don't, if we're not advancing, then it's just, it's not fun. And we're not feeling like we're developing as people or organizations or companies or whatever. So I think that's what we're trying to do. That's what we're striving for. This is a way to do it. Someone's coming to you and saying, hey, I can do this easier. I can do this better. I can give you more time for that. I can lower your costs on that. It does sound good. It is good. It is. I think it is progress. So shifting gears on you here, do you read? Are you a reader? I do. I do. I do like to read. I'm all over the place though. Okay. If I name a couple things that you either read recently or are currently reading. Uh, so I just finished a really good book on the venture capital world. It's, oh, geez, I got to think of the, the name of it. It'll come to me in a second here, but it's just a great history of venture capital, where it was, where it is today, and a really great book. I also read recently the, the Phil Knight, the Nike backstory, and that was, again, one that was on every business list that, <laughs> of books that I've seen, so I, I finished that one recently. Anyways, those are the two that are popping into my head right now, just in uh, more recent I suppose those kind of books will certainly affect the way you view the culture of an organization for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. It was the Phil Knight story was about, yeah, again, him being scrappy and, and, and really early days, very early days in Nike. And there's that movie Air, which has prompted me to get into it because I, I wanted to know more of the story and not figure going back. But yeah, no, I think culture and it's super interesting, like within technology of the venture capital industry and all of the craziness that has happened within it now. I just, it's, it's this utter fast. I had this utter fascination for it. Very interesting. Greg, it was a pleasure talking with you today. We covered a lot of different topics, all interrelated with the, your changing work roles as we, as we look at it from a future state. But I really appreciate your, your perspective and your insights as we talk today. For sure. Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to Transform Now. For more insightful discussions on digital transformation and more, check out our podcast channel where you'll find all of our previous episodes. And to make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. And if you like what you've heard, please leave us a review. For more information about digital transformation and the future of work, check out blueprism.com to learn how SSNC Blueprism's digital workforce is enabling enterprise transformation now.